Good morning. All right, show of hands, moment of truth. How many of you have signed up for the 40 days of prayer? Come on now. Bring it. Okay, good. That's a lot of you. And it offers a lot of opportunity to the rest of you. And I really would encourage you to do that. Uh, you get the app push, as Will said. You get a verse on prayer, reflection on prayer, a model prayer. So like if you're going, I don't know how to pray, pray the model prayer or learn from the model prayer. And then a prompt that says, pray for this today. And so it'd be really great. Uh, we'd love to have everybody doing it at 1109. We'd love to have you doing it. Wait for it now. Like this, as we talked about last week. If you can, okay, and then share your stories with us. Um, tell us how it's going, what it's meaning to you. Uh, tell us about prayers that are answered, you know, because the Lord answers prayers. That's that's awesome, and we should expect that that be the case. And so share that stuff with us. So my wife last Thursday, so the second day of the 40 days, uh, was at Costco, and she was, you know, kind of getting her stuff and whatever. And then she realized, oh, no. 1109 is on its way. So she hurried up, you know, because, I mean, I guess you could, like, kneel in front of the salsa or something and pretend like you're reading a label or whatever. But so she hurried up. She got her stuff. She got out in the car. She put it all away. 1109, she gets the push. She reads it, kneels in the parking lot and prays. Perfect. You can't do that in a business meeting. I get it. It would be super weird. But you can plan around it. You can do it before. You can do it after. We're going to get serious about pursuing the Lord as one body and serious about our mission, okay? So do that. Engage. Sign up for it. Just go to the app. Push the tile. It'll tell you how to do it. And really, if I can do it, I guarantee you, you will have no problems, all right? All right, as we continue with our study of the book of Ephesians, I was reminded this week as I was thinking about this message that seven or eight weeks ago when we started, I kind of outlined the book for you and said, okay, so here's how Paul writes this letter. In the first half of his letter, what is he doing? He's talking about who we are in Christ. If you're a Christian, he's saying, here's who you are, not who you may have thought you were, not who you feel like you are. No, no, no. He's like, I'm going to clear it up for you. So first three chapters, here's who you are in Christ. And then he moves into the second three chapters, the second half of his letter, which is what we're doing today. We're moving into the first part of that. And he says, all right, now look, here's the deal. In light of who you are, here's how you are now to live by the power of the Spirit in a community with one another. So who you are determines how you live. You live out of your identity. And all of that works perfectly if you've been here for the last seven or eight weeks. If you're just showing up today, you know, like you've walked into the middle of a movie. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use the language that Paul's going to use today. So you're going to hear this language. You're going to see this language to describe who we are. Sum up first three chapters. And then out of that, how we are to live. So here's the deal. If you are a Christian, then you are a captive of Jesus Christ. You have been taken by him at the cost of his life and then given by him as a gift to the church and to the world. So then if that's who you are, how are you to live? As a gift to the church and to the world. So now if you're joining us, you might think, well, you know, doesn't really sound overly exciting. I mean, I'm using words like captive. Tom, you said I'm a captive, that I've been taken. That's the name of a movie. Have you seen that movie? It's terrifying. I mean, it's satisfying because Liam Neeson absolutely punishes the bad guys. Like, it's gratifying in that way. But, like, the taken part is absolutely terrifying. So I'm a captive. I've been taken. Then I've been given as a gift to the church and the world, whether I want to be or not. Is that what you're saying? 
That's exactly what I'm saying, except for that part where you're going, that doesn't sound like a good thing. That's the part I want to take issue with because we're threatened by all of this, and we look at that and go, it doesn't sound like fun, and I want to go, no, 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 wait a minute. Let's just think some of this through for a moment. Every person everywhere, but it's us, right? So everyone here is a captive of something or someone even if it's just our own selves, in which case we're captive to our passions that overrun us, our desires that rule over us, our ego that at times wrecks us. We're captive to our wounds. We're captive to our insecurities. We're captive to our hurts. We're captive to our failures. We're captive to our compulsions. We're captive to our fears. We're captive to our anxieties. We're captive to our foolishness, to our lack of wisdom. Like, there are so many things, I'm just going to stop, that we are captive to. We are captive to ourselves, many of us. Many of us are captive to things and, and addictions, like I'm captive to a substance or I'm held captive to a habit, a practice, a person. You might be a captive of your own things. You're like, how does that work? Like, at some point in life, you have so much of them that you wake up one day and you go, good grief, I'm spending the whole of my life just taking care of all this. I own it legally, but practically it owns me. We're all of us captive to something or someone. And none of them are good options except for Jesus. Why? Because Jesus comes in and he takes you captive so that he might set you free. Set you free from yourself and your limitations and all of that. Set you free from your addictions, etc. Set you free from materialism. Set you free from all of these different things. All of these tyrannical captors, if you will. He's come to set us free from. And then he's come to set us free to do the very thing that we will find the most joy and satisfaction in doing. Why? Because it's what he's made us to do. And what is that? Well, I mean, you know, to use the language of the day, it's to be a gift to the church and to the world. So Paul comes to us in Ephesians 4, begins the second half of his letter with this. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for whom? Because it's not for the Romans, even though he's in a Roman prison. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. Or what he actually says, better translation, is I therefore am a prisoner in the Lord. And the little word in really, really matters because if you've been with us the last seven or eight weeks, one of the things you've learned is that everything that we are as Christians, we are in Jesus In light of his work for us, a perfect life lived in place of our imperfect lives, a perfect life laid down as a sacrifice for all of our failures, a life lived and suffered and died, that it all might be buried and raised again from the dead, not just for himself, but for me and for you to authenticate a gospel that is real and that is true. Look, everything that we are, we are in Christ Jesus. Paul's like, hey, you've been chosen by God in Christ. You've been redeemed by God in Christ. You've been forgiven past, present, and future by God in Christ. You've been adopted into the family of God like you're a son or daughter of God himself in Christ. The difference between mercy and wrath is your position in Christ. The difference between heaven and hell is your position in Christ. The difference between my life matters, and I've done some things that that matter for all of eternity, gift to the church and the world, and it didn't really matter is your position in Christ. You are the artwork of his hands. You are the song of his heart. And you are all of these things because Jesus has entered into the world and earned all of them for you and then gifts them to you as a free gift that you receive by faith. 
But with all that said, we do still have to deal with the fact that, I mean, even though Paul describes himself here as a prisoner in the Lord, I mean, the reality is he's still in a Roman prison, which couldn't have made a lot of sense to him. And I don't think it made a lot of sense to the Christians in his day either. I mean, you know, here is the preeminent evangelist in all the world, and he's trapped. He's out of the game. I understand he writes letters, which are amazing, but he ain't planting churches. I mean, you just look at it from his perspective for a minute or from their perspective back then, it makes absolutely no sense. And yet Paul doesn't go, hey, I'm a preeminent evangelist in the world, trapped in a Roman prison. He says, no, let me describe myself. Prisoner in the Lord. What is he saying? Well, I mean, I think the first thing he's saying, as we talked about a few weeks ago, is that he understands that God controls absolutely everything, that there's not a molecule in the universe outside of his control. Therefore, if he or if you are in some kind of prison, you're there because in an ultimate sense, he puts you there. It's good that you're seated. And what Paul is saying is, well, if he put me there, then I'll take it. If he put me there, then I'll embrace it. If he put me there, then even if I can't see it and explain it, somehow my being here is good, and I will trust him. But why? What enables you to trust someone? Knowing them. He's like, I know the heart of this Savior. I know the love of this Savior. I know the wisdom of this Savior. I know that His perspective infinitely exceeds my own. I understand that He understands everything that I don't understand. And because I know Him, I will trust Him even in prison. When it looks like it just doesn't make any sense. Guys, knowing and trusting are not two different things. You don't get one without the other. And so Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner in the Lord, urge you, my fellow captives, he's talking to us, whether you're in a prison right now or you're not, to do what? To walk. It means to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, which, spoiler alert, and I've already given you this, is to be a gift to the church and to the world. But here's what it's going to require. And the first one is the one that matters the most. He says, with all humility. And then it just continues. And gentleness. With patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And here's the deal. When you know who you are in Jesus and you know who you are without Jesus, it makes you humble. Why? Because it brings into stark reality the great cost that God had to pay to have you. The gospel comes to me and it comes to you and goes, Hey, listen, bad news. You're a lot worse than you think. Good news, you are so much more loved than you think. This is what it took for God to have you. And that doesn't puff you up. It makes you humble in a healthy, good kind of way, in a healthy way that makes you gentle. It's a humility that issues in gentleness. Why? Because you understand the gentleness that God has shown toward you. It is in His kindness, not in pounding on you, that He leads you to repentance. And that in turn makes you patient because you understand how patient that God has been with you, which in turn allows you to bear with others in love. Why? Because you've been born with in love by none other than God himself, which makes you eager and able to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace because you know how much God paid to buy your peace with him, but not just with him, 
with each other. And Paul goes on to talk about that body of Jesus. He says in verse 4, For there is one body. Hang on to that. He speaks of the church of God as a body. He analogizes it to a physical body. One body. Lots of parts. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were all, is the point, called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But now notice this. He says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, which is not yet a reference to Christ giving you as a gift. It's a reference to Christ giving you gifts that then make you a usable gift. What am I talking about? Well, God comes and He claims you to Himself through faith, right? He captures you. You're a captive of Christ Jesus. You've been taken at the expense of His life. He's bought you for Himself. And then by His Spirit, He gives you gifts. Usable, serviceable gifts for the benefit of the church and the world. And it's the use of those gifts that make you beneficial to the church and the world. They make you a great gift that he gets to give to his church and that he gets to give to the world, which is something that Paul elaborates on far more extensively in chapter 12 of a different letter, 1 Corinthians, that he wrote to another church full of Christians just in a different city. And he says this beginning in verse 14, he says, For the body, so there it is, the one body of Jesus. Jesus has a physical presence in this world. And it's all of us collectively. It's His Spirit-filled people, all of which are different parts. He says, For the body does not consist of one member or one part, but of many, eyes and ears, nose and mouth, hands and feet, internal organs, like lots of parts. But the point is that every part matters to the whole. Every part needs to play its part. It's where He's going. He says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. It would just make it a part of the body that wasn't playing its part. And then the whole body would be on crutches, at the very least. It's like the foot opted out today, and so we're all doing this. The foot matters. He says, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. It would still be a part of the body. It's just that the body would be partially deaf. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God is arranged. So he's speaking of the design of God for his body, but it involves us. He's like, you're a part. I've made you a part. I've gifted you to be an eye or an ear or a nose or a foot or a hand or a whatever. God has arranged the members, the parts in the body, each one of them. I love how he stops and says that because it's personal. As he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? And the answer to that is easy. It would be useless. <laughs> it would be useless to the world. It would be useless to the church. And God has not made his body to be useless. He has made his body to be useful. And so he looks at us, Paul does, in verse 27 of that same chapter. And he says, now you, meaning all of you together are the body of Christ. And then he looks at us individually, every one of us. And he says, and each one of you individually are members of that one body of Jesus in the world. The only questions being, A, what part are we? And B, are we playing our part? 
because it's in playing our part, it's in using the gifts that he has given to us, that we become a gift to the church and the world. And that's clearly where Paul's going here in Ephesians 4. If you just look at that next verse where we left off, verse 8, it's kind of cryptic, but let me explain it. He says, therefore it says, and he's, he's quoting from the Psalms, he says, when he ascended on high, he, Jesus, ascended on high. So Jesus has lived the perfect life that we have not as a substitute for us. He has suffered and died as a sacrifice to pay for all of our failures and debt. He's been risen that he might with authenticity, with power, proclaim a gospel that, that really is true. And he is ascending. When he ascends on high, he led a host of captives. Okay, who are the captives? Because I've given you a clue. I've said if you're a Christian, then you are a captive of Christ Jesus, taken by him at the cost of his life. But what's the next statement? And given by him as a gift... To the church and the world, it's what Paul says next. He says, and he gave gifts to men. Who are the gifts? That's us too. We're the gifts. We're the gifted gifts to the church and the world. And we need to use our gifts to play our part in the body is the point so that the body might be operable in this world, fully operable in this world, so that we might do what we were made to do and that we collectively might do what we were made to do. And we need that as individuals. In other words, we each need sort of the ministry of different parts of the body in our own lives. You know, we each need somebody who is an eye, somebody who can look into our lives and really see what's going on, somebody maybe that we intentionally led into our lives so that they can really see what's going on, and somebody who can point out the great things about us and also the not-so-great things about us, who can show us the pitfalls, the ditch we're about to step into, who can reveal the truth to us, things about our character, about our ethics, about our relationships. Somebody who can help us see ourselves more accurately and help us see Jesus more accurately and how he is sufficient for all of our insufficiencies. We we all need an ear in our life, somebody who loves us well enough to sit down and listen to the whole story. Those people are gold and who know us well enough to know what we're really saying when we say it. We need a mouth in our life. Every person does. Somebody who brings the truth to us, counsel to us, wisdom to us, maybe rebuke to us, comfort to us, encouragement to us. We need these people to speak into our lives. We need a hand to help us. We need somebody who's a foot to walk alongside of us. We need all of these different parts of the body in our own lives individually, but corporately we need that as well. We need for every part to play their part. If we're going to accomplish our mission of leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, man, we need, you know, the musicians to play. We need the singers to sing. We need the teachers to teach. We need for people who are good at facilitating conversations to be a part of our alpha team or to be community group leaders. We need people who are maybe not good at that at all, but they have the gift of hospitality, which is a gift that everybody loves and enjoys, and they have a great place to gather people to go, you know what, I can host one of those. I can host a community group at my house. We need that. We need our leaders to lead. We need our givers to give. We need all of these different people, all of the parts, our prayers to pray. We need our greeters to greet. We need folks who are willing to show up early and help people navigate a really difficult to figure out where to park campus, particularly on a day like today when we can't park at Fred Hunter's. Bummer. Guys, we have way more people, way, than we need to work with the kids and to be greeters and to be and do all of these different things. But I'm going to say it quick. You ready? Okay. Not enough of you are doing it. We need your help. 
We need you to play your part. Otherwise, the whole body's like on crutches going, oh, come on, man, if we just had a foot. Simple to do. Go to the app, connect, serve. Fill out a survey. Indicate what you're interested in or you're not obligated to do anything. But I do want to challenge you with the challenge that we began with seven or eight weeks ago at the beginning of this series. I said, hey, guys, when you come here, are you coming to get or give? Are you coming to consume or are you coming to give out, to contribute? Pray through that. Think through that. And then finally, this city and the world needs for each one of us to play our part. And I say that because our city and this world need for this church and for the body of Christ in general, for example, you know, that have eyes that see the plight of the orphan and that don't let the rest of the body miss it. The ears that hear the cry of the unborn and that don't let the rest of the body ignore it. Mouths that speak the truth about the dead little empty tyrannical masters that all of us are giving our lives to apart from Jesus and to just how great it is to be captured by Him. Hands that are willing to work with the disease, the dying, the, the homeless, or whoever. Feet that are willing to stand up for the oppressed, to take a stand against injustice, to take the gospel wherever it needs to go. So the bottom line of the message is, look, if you are a Christian, then you, you are a captive of Christ Jesus, taken by Him at the cost of His life, and then given as a gift to the church and to the world, which is the greatest thing that you can be. It's amazing. So then how do you live? Well, I'm, I'm to live as a gift to the church and to the world. So what's the charge? It's go be a gift to the church and to the world. I'm going to ask you some questions as we enter in kind of to a time of reflection just to help you maybe kind of work through some of this stuff. So question number one, who or what are you a captive of? What would you say? Like, is it you? Is it stuff? Is it an addiction? Is it a person? Is it a... What is holding you captive? Because everybody's a captive of something or someone. Or is it Jesus? Because, guys, he, he takes you captive so that he can set you free. Secondly, how are you using your gifts to advance God's work in the church and in the world? Because we're all going to give our lives away to something. And God's going, I've got that figured out. Let me help you with this. I've uniquely gifted you. I've given you unique experiences and wisdom and, and all kinds of things. I've crafted you for this moment. Every day of your life, I've been shaping you and making you and molding you and getting you ready for this. Thirdly, what prison are you in right now? And just as importantly, maybe even more so, how are you looking at it? Because gospel-centered humility breaks down our pride and it enables us to do something that, apart from this, is absolutely impossible to do, which is to embrace it. To embrace it is from a good God. Pride says, I don't deserve this. Gospel-centered humility says, God is doing this in me, through me, around me. I didn't choose it. I wouldn't want it. I don't want it. I'm working against it. I'm not saying don't try to get out, but I'm going to embrace this as something that's coming to me from the hand of my Savior who is good, and I'm going to press into Him. I need to know Him better so that I can trust Him 
more. And then lastly, since knowing and trusting God go together, uh, are you in Jesus through faith? Like, can you say, yep, you know what? I have gathered up the old me and I've laid the old me at his feet and I've asked him to forgive me and, and to make me new, to capture me and to begin a process of freeing me from all my old captors so that he might fill me with the spirit and, and use me to do what he wants to use me to do. So if you guys would stand for a moment, I just want to pray through some of this together with you. And I want to remind you that we have a prayer team here at this church, and um, after we pray through this together, we'll have a closing song. And during the closing song, our prayer team will kind of slip out. And so if you want to slip out and pray with somebody during the closing song, that's a great time to do it. Uh, you can also pray after the service, also a great time to do it. But really, do take advantage of that if you get a chance, okay? Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank you, Lord, that you are a, the great capturer of our souls. God, that you are the one who comes to claim. You enter into the world to defeat sin and death and to take us as your captives, to sweep us up in the train of your robe, to make us your own, that you might rule over us in love and in mercy and in wisdom, and in beauty, and in grace. Just take a few minutes and talk to the Lord about whatever it is, if anything, that's holding you captive, not named Jesus, and lay that down at his feet and surrender to his reign and rule.